Hey everybody, you're listening to Whose Games Is This? It's a podcast about uh, video games, cultural contexts, people playing them for the first time, experiences. I don't know. Exactly. I'm just kind of saying words. <laughs> I'm your host, I'm Seth, in case you're still listening after that intro. Uh, <laughs> and my guest today is is my friend Trey. Yes, hi. Who, I don't know, uh, has been <laughs> wanting to be on the podcast for a while and I've been exactly. slacking. This is the uh, first totally podcast okay. in like month, two months. Yeah, it's around there. Yeah, yeah. life's crazy, guys. Uh, <laughs> But this episode, it's going to be about uh, the game Half-Life. Yes. First Half-Life uh, by Valve, made in 1998, and it's actually Valve's like first game. Yeah, uh, which is wild, because yeah. it seems like it was made by a more seasoned company. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's this game that people always talk about in these conversations of like like the great games, or like the a lot of times actually like number one or top five like first person shooters Absolutely, of all time yeah, yeah. like it's up there with like doom and yeah. like games like that which also doom was like made by a pretty young team as well exactly so, yeah i mean part of it's just i guess like that time period in the way it's a really interesting idea yeah like smaller companies or whatever i guess they felt like they didn't have as many restrictions they could operate yeah. at that level and try new things yeah definitely I'm talking Half-life. about young companies young companies young startups companies. yeah exactly startup yeah. culture yeah valve with no vowels Valve was a startup, I think. Yeah. It's like Uber, but... For games. Yeah. Essentially. Actually, Valve is kind of a startup if you think about, like, you know, the yeah. platform of Steam and everything. Absolutely, yeah. If you think about that. Okay, so I guess, like, a little bit of backstory mm-hmm. on Valve, on Half-Life. Um, I guess, like, Half-Life, it's pretty influential, not just on, like, first-person shooters, uh, but also in the fact that it kind of gave Valve... Uh, uh, fame and yeah, like resources them, to be able like to a prestige yeah exactly like a very young level and so then i mean i guess for anyone that doesn't know valve also is now like they're not like a like a nintendo or a playstation no, no. in that way but they're kind of like one of the bigger faces of like pc gaming absolutely yeah because of different games they've made and then also now they have steam which is just you know like marketplace uh exactly yeah kind of all-in-one like library of games for people and also like a community platform. It's a really like interesting blend of like marketplace and social media. And yeah. Like all that Which then stuff. also gets muddy because then like Valve like creates like markets within it with like yeah. skins for guns and Counter-Strike <laughs> or like Dota skins and things like that. And that's a whole other issue. Right. Um, but I guess back to Half-Life. Yes. Um, yeah. I guess also to give listeners a little bit of like an intro mm-hmm. to like you, yeah. who you are. I guess what's, what's your history with like Half-Life? How did you come to this game when... Oh, uh, okay. So I think I was maybe about 10 years old and I got, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and for my 10th birthday, I had seen Half-Life 2 on an episode of Cheat on G4. Oh fuck. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I was just fascinated by it. And also just like the way that you enter cheats in the game looked so Mm -hmm. cool. Like opening the developer console and stuff. Me and my 10 year old mind thought that that looked like nineties hacker movie. Oh yeah. So I was like, Oh, this is great. You mean just hackers? Yes. Yeah, exactly. The Angelina Jolie movie. Um, the classic. Oh, it's fantastic. It's a classic. Um, but yeah, so I ended up getting that game. It came with, uh, half-life two half-life source uh which is the one I'm going to be going off of. I believe that you played the original. Yeah. And again, we can get down part of the, like, I guess part of my like hesitation toward doing this episode at first was just knowing I'd be out of my depth because of all the con- like weird like convolutions. Oh yeah, and like what Half Life is and different expansions and mods and the history of it. But exactly. again, we'll get into that. So yeah, there's a general through line. Um, but yeah, it came with like I think also the first Counter Strike game. I could be wrong on that, but it had yeah. Counter Strike Source in there too. Um, 
So yeah, I didn't actually play the first Half Life all that much because mm-hmm. it wasn't what was on that. It wasn't Half Life Two. Yeah, exactly. Um, it wasn't what people were like talking about at that time. Um, but I recently like revisited it. Um, and I don't know. It's it's a really like interesting game, and I think arguably. I might like rethink this later, but okay. On first impression, I think that it might be even a little bit darker than Half Life Two is. I could see that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's just the stark contrast between like you know before and after the main event of the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was, I don't know. There's something about the tone of this game that really kind of struck me. Like, even playing it at like ten years old. Like, I mean, you have like Halo and that kind of stuff, but like it being more rooted in like the science part of science fiction or like having a bigger focus on that aspect of it. Like yeah. obviously it's not the most like, yeah, you're not like hitting like, game, like but... chemistry or doing like equations in the game to progress or anything yeah, like exactly. that. But, but it takes place like within a lab and all that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's yeah. neat to have that sort of setting as opposed to just like, Oh, space, uh, which does kind of get undercut as we'll talk about later. But a bit. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. sort of how I was introduced to the game. I, I don't know. I, Kind of, I've been thinking about G four a lot lately because you yeah. brought up cheat. Yeah. Uh, well, not because of that, but you brought <laughs> up cheat, so now I'm thinking about G four again. But there were a lot of games that I remember that were on cheat that mm-hmm. I wanted to play because I knew cheat codes for them. Like yeah. Splinter Cell Double Agent was just oh. a game that like I knew like not cheats, but like how to get through this one mission, and yeah. I wanted to play the game so that I could get through that one mission. Exactly. I yeah. never played it honestly. Whenever I go to like McKay's or different like used game stores to look for just like cheap weird stuff to buy for right. my PS3, like Double Agent always sticks out, and I always think about it. But I'm like, that's kind of gonna be miserable to play right now. I think it's it's. I don't know. I do remember actually playing that game. Uh, if it's the one that I'm thinking of, if that's the one where you start out in a prison, maybe then I know which one. So you have like you're a shaved about. head. Yes. Yeah, yep. and he's hanging upside down from like a pipe, and it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably yeah it's that was a game yeah that was a thing yeah i've wanted to go back to the old splinter cells but i've never like uh i don't know my history with splinter cell was like two very different like spaced out points in time yeah uh because when my brothers and i first got our gamecube it came with a demo disc mm-hmm. that had the original splinter cell demo on it right and right, right. when i was a little kid that was amazing because i got to shoot a gun mm-hmm. it also had like billy hatcher and the giant egg Wait, what? Do you not know this? No, I didn't know about that. I'm pulling it up on the big screen. The podcast listeners at home won't be able to see this, but I'm incorporating a big old screen uh, in our recording setup now. (laughs) So you're probably hearing me type Billy Hatcher and the giant egg. On the GameCube, you're just a boy in a chicken suit uh, with a big old egg. Also, I think a beautiful Joe is a demo of that. Oh, beautiful Joe? Yeah. Platinum Games is the classic. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, so Splinter Cell was that, and then I didn't touch any of the Splinter Cell games until I played Conviction on the Xbox 360. I think okay, so that one was post double. Well, yeah, obviously yeah. post double agent, but um, it was like Xbox 360 exclusive, and I remember yeah. like that was back when I would just like, well, nice, yeah, uh, <laughs> real time guys, real life getting it. We got you the know. notification sounds on the <laughs> computer, uh, but. Splinter Cell Conviction was like Xbox 360 exclusive, and I watched a lot of like IGN YouTube videos and reviews right. of it uh, when I would be laying in bed with my iPod Touch <laughs> back when like the YouTube app was built in. Right. And I don't know, that game was really cool because it streamlined a lot of things. Like mm-hmm. instead of like having to look for if you're in light or shadow, yeah. the screen would just go black and white if you're in shadow. That's pretty neat, actually. Yeah, I didn't and know it had that. like, you would like mark enemies and have like a quick execute thing. Oh, gotcha. Honestly, okay. it's pretty app like. I got really? it. I got it the other day, or not the other day, like a few months ago. Mm. It's kind of like an app. It feels a little bit like in how like simplified it is, but honestly, right. 
Well, I mean, if the game flows well, I mean, that's not necessarily all you would want from like a stealth game, but yeah. like, I don't know if it feels good to play, yeah. it feels good to play. Honestly, I still like it a lot, but yeah. when I went to buy it, the guys, the cash, this is a great Half-Life 1 conversation. Oh yeah, yeah. But, um, is, yeah. Incredible. But uh, <laughs> when I went to buy it, the cashier was like, oh man, did you ever play Splinter Cell Pandora Tomorrow? Which I think was like the, the third. Second one. Oh, was that yeah, it? Yeah, I had it, yeah. Okay, I didn't know <laughs> Chaos wild. Theory or Pandora Tomorrow came out second. Uh, Chaos Theory was the transition to the M-rated Splinter Cell games because, what? yeah, gotcha. you were slitting throats and stuff. It was bad. Yeah. It was horrible. I wasn't allowed to play that one. Yeah. you know. Post 9-11 entertainment. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, so I was buying Conviction. The guy's like, oh, do you play Pandora Tomorrow? And mm. I was like, nope. And because I'm like, I don't want to talk at this game store. Right, right, right. I don't want to talk or do any of this. And then this guy who wasn't a worker, he was on like the con- the consumer side right. of the counter, was just standing there just like looking at games, but obviously standing there to talk to people. I don't right, know. Right, right. It was weird. And then he just like looks at me. He's like, that's a good game. And I was like, yeah, I, I know. That's why I'm buying <laughs> nice. it. I don't know. And I guess that's a little <laughs> bit cold of a way to like interact in like a game store and everything. But like, I guess, but hey, you know, also like game stores make me really anxious. I don't want to yeah. talk to some of the people in there. In-game culture can be pretty exhausting. Like, it's, yeah. you know, it's just a thing. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, but anyway, so yeah. Xing out of the Billy Hatcher and the giant egg yes, tab. Yeah. More about Half-Life. More about um, Half-Life. I don't know. I never really had, like, uh, a lot of, like, PC gaming experience. Right. Growing up, like, I played, like, some, like, strategy games like Age of Empires 2 or Lego Rock Raiders. <laughs> that game's a classic. Yeah. Um, but I never played, like, a lot of, like real like pc games a lot of right. it was like uh, on consoles like i've owned every playstation um since i was a kid playing like the the arthur pbs show <laughs> right, right, right game arthur ready to race buzz Lightyear, star command you know, all amazing nice. um but i never really had like a lot of pc gaming experience and also with it being a shooter like that's just not really something that i was allowed to play back right. then exactly. um but i think really my only brush with like valve came with the orange box Right, yeah. When yeah. I played Portal, liked that a lot. That was in like mm. middle school, and then I started playing Half Life Two, yeah. and it's it's a bit demanding for like someone in middle school, exactly. or I guess like maybe for me, maybe yeah. not for you. <laughs> it was like I don't know. I think and we, we can we can save like talking about Half Life Two and everything. But uh, like, I guess so to fill everyone in. Yeah. This episode's gone through a few iterations of concepts. Right. Um, started off just being one about Half-Life 2 and the mods with Half-Life 2 yeah. uh, that Trey proposed. His experience with that was going to lend itself to it. And then I was like, I could just play every Half-Life game and just do one on that, and that's not ambitious at all. And then I started doing that, and I was like, let's just maybe just Half-Life 1 and then Half-Life yeah. 2, you know? Yeah. So that's what that's what this came from. So the orange box is like, that was really my only brush in with it. Right, right, right. And yeah. it like, I just never really got like grabbed by it or anything like that right and then also just like i've always been kind of like weary of like pc gaming culture right right as because that's a whole other subset of gaming culture it's Um, it's a lot there's a lot of like elitism involved in it and like yeah also there seems to be like a higher concentration since most of it is like i don't know so much of it is based in like online community interactions i think more so than like console gaming was back then because like again even like after half-life you had like counter-strike so yeah. you had like those communities coming out pretty early yeah especially like on the steam platform yeah it seems um, like a lot of like community structures uh between pc and console gaming with console it seemed a lot more like people would would talk about it at school right in, exactly in, yeah like the, the the schoolyard like at recess and everything talking about like a dungeon in zelda or like how to like get past psycho mantis and, and right. metal gear solid right but with pc gaming it's a lot of 
like online communities, modding communities. Yeah. Like, you know, chat rooms, forums, all that kind of stuff, which was definitely, I don't know. That was, that was the place of discourse for PC gaming. The discourse. The discourse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Half-Life 2 wasn't like super demanding. I don't think, uh, around that time period solely because, and this is, I guess where our interactions differ because like whenever I got it, more people were, I think, actively talking about it. Like, it was more so a part of a conversation on a wider scale. Yeah. Whereas when the orange box came out, that was more so, like, Team Fortress 2 was included with it. And yeah. you had, like, Portal. Yeah, you had, Por- like, the Portal big, was yeah. kind of, like, the big thing out mm-hmm. of the orange box because that was the thing that took everybody by surprise. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's something that's really neat just yeah. about Half-Life in general to me, and it holds a special place in my heart. Yeah. But, no, it has this weird kind of, like... um you talked about the tone a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's this really weird like sense of like a groundedness, but also like, I guess the way it presents itself does it in in through this way of almost like full interaction. Right, right, right. It feels like it's very much like a place that you're in. Yeah. A lot of the game, like there's no real cutscenes in the game. Yeah, a lot exactly. of it is like scripted moments. Yeah. Um, people talking to you, you like activating levers exactly, and yeah. moving objects. And it's a lot of, and it's pretty much all through this first person perspective. Mm-hmm. That's like unbreached most yeah. of the time. It's, it's really exciting, especially like, again, to put it in the context or whatever, like scripted events, like those have obviously become a huge thing back in the day. Not as much like, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. I couldn't say if there were any games prior to this that were like this, like streamlined as far as like the narrative goes, like there yeah. are, almost no breaks in this story yeah um and it's i don't know i mean not to say that like the story is something that's like super deep or anything like yeah. within the first i think 10 minutes of the game like you're already into it like you have yeah. a crowbar and are whacking like aliens but yeah like, exactly i don't know it, it's still it's still really neat and it draws you in um i know that you're a big fan of like environmental storytelling and that's something uh, that i think that this game does fairly well yeah well i mean uh i think there's a lot of different ways you can like interact with the environment, which part of it is also just like having to remember this, like time, mm-hmm. the context of the game and everything. Cause I mean, as you like said, you weren't sure, but this is kind of like one of the first games where like, I guess like there was this much like interaction and this right. much like streamlining of story and mm-hmm. also working story into this interactable part instead right, of having yeah. like FMV or yeah. having like pages <laughs> of text you have to read yeah, or anything like that. Yeah. Or even cutscenes. Cutscenes were like still kind of like a thing they would use back then, or at least these like non-interactable sections. Exactly. Yeah. But the game, even though it, like now it feels a little weird, where you're like, man, it's just making me like do all these weird like interactions. Like at the time, that was like yeah, a big thing, yeah. a big deal. Um, I guess just to kind of outline a bit of like the lineage of the game and everything, mm-hmm. and all these different versions it went through. Yeah. Um, so the game came out in 1998, and then uh, there were two expansions that came out made by Gearbox, which they're known now for like Borderlands, uh, Battleborn, uh, all kinds of different games. I think also they published Aliens Colonial Marines. I think so. They published it. Yeah. They didn't do the work on it, and then, I don't know, people didn't like that game. <laughs> uh, but there were two expansions put out that told different kind of like versions of the story of Half-Life. One was Opposing Force, where you play a Marine, which is like kind of one of the enemies right, yeah. in the story. Um, and you're like going, covering up evidence. And I had new weapons, non-playable right. characters, unseen areas. And then two years later in 2001, Blue Shift came out, which that was where you play a security guard, which those are like, you'll find security yeah. guards along the way in the story. And they'll like help you, whether it's yeah. like open doors, uh, like 
kind of protect you sort of not really no they're they're just uh yeah they're shields basically pretty much uh and then it also came with an hd texture pack so that was you know 2001 is crazy Uh, exactly yeah and then also there was a ps2 port of the game also Mm -hmm. done by gearbox that came with uh this mode (laughs) it was called decay which was a co-op mode yeah um and then really the only other like official version of the game was called source which was after half-life 2 came out um basically they put it through the source engine but just Mm -hmm. like ported it there no real like yeah. texture upgrades no it still looks it's just a bunch of polygons yeah. just you know it's uh they had some vertex and pixel shader improvements <laughs> um and also had the half-life 2 physics engine but still was just the exact same thing yeah um and so then this is kind of where like pc gaming as a community or at least like highlighting the community mm-hmm. aspect of it um there is kind of like this outrage about source maybe not outrage yeah. but like there was like People were like, you really could have done something better with exactly, this new engine yeah. you had. So the fans ended up taking it on their hands and making a mod called Black Mesa, mm-hmm. which I think came out in 2012. Yeah, that was it when was, it finally, it was like seven years of development. Yeah. Um, but it finally time. came out in 2012 and it was like a full uh, Half-Life 2 Source Engine yeah. remake uh, with all like HD textures. Mm. Um, and also like a lot of redesigns. I When I was playing the game one time looked at like a walkthrough of the section i was at because i didn't know what to do and i found it in black mesa and i was like yeah i could just watch the black mesa one not knowing exactly what it was and right. i had such a hard time finding my spot because it looked completely different they like had yeah. all these like really stark like hallways shadows they had like dead bodies in areas where there were yeah. no bodies in the original game mm-hmm. and i was like man these people put a little bit of time into this yeah well, I guess, like, seven years in development, I guess that sort of makes sense. Especially with, like, the rapidity of, like, the fan base and everything. Like, I don't know. They're really, like, out here. Like, yeah. The fans are They're, they did some stuff. Uh, then there was, like, a bunch of mods. I just, like, I didn't even write any down on our, like, mm-hmm. kind of, like, planning document or anything like that. Just yeah. because there are so many that I just pulled up a literal Wikipedia page. Yeah. Um, but so after they put out the software dev kit, uh, people just started kind of going crazy. Yeah. Uh, with mods like yeah. Counter-Strike started off as yeah. a Half-Life mod. Yeah. Um, and now it's like one of the largest esports in the world. Yeah. Um, Day of Defeat was another one. I'm Team trying to Fortress think. Classic was another yeah. big one, which, you know, that has a fairly active fan base. I don't know if it's as active as it was like a few years ago, but, yeah. you know. I'm trying to think. There's just like other like single player mods people made, like one called USS Dark Star, which is a <laughs> futuristic action adventure on a zoological uh, research spaceship wow i don't know there's all kinds of crazy stuff i'll just like link this section of the wikipedia page in the show notes because there's like there's a lot a lot of shit here including a little bit of history about black mesa which will also have a link down there right um one of the other mods though one of the other like kind of noteworthy mods that i found was this thing called three wave um so back in let me see if i can pull this up I think it was 2003 yep 2003 so valve was hacked mm-hmm. which that has happened several times we'll talk about that more in the half-life 2 right. episode because right. like people actually hacked in and like stole like builds of half-life 2 yeah 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 and that's a, a whole kind of interesting story mm-hmm. uh, but back in 2003 valve was was infiltrated by hackers and people found like a lot of different things there but one of them uh what's this thing called half-life three wave or it was just called (laughs) three wave i think and people didn't really know what it was um and speculated that like the folders they found were all like gabe newell's like personal build of Mm half-life um and then eventually people found that three wave well three wave ctf was a mod for quake which was like kind of one of the first like revolutionary like multiplayer shooters which we talked about on the the doom episode Mm -hmm. um 
And so essentially it was a, an internal Valve mod or an internally created mod at Valve uh, where they're trying to recreate three wave, capture the flag in Half-Life and no one could ever get it to work. It would always like shut down immediately. But right. this guy named Tyler McVicker who has like this thing called Valve News Network on YouTube. I watched his video about it. In 2016, uh, 13 years later, he got it working and was running a server for it. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of uh, insane. <laughs> it's kind of crazy yeah i actually never heard about that that's yeah. wild yeah uh i guess one more thing about black mesa is that it was one of the first steam Greenlight uh approved games yeah. mm -hmm. so you got that i guess one more thing i should say about the game is that i actually didn't finish it i got a lot of opinions about this thing yeah um on different sides of the line yeah of good and bad mm -hmm. um or at least like and don't like right um but overall like i this game the resounding opinion so that this thing was a very, very good, yeah, influential, mm -hmm. and like I don't know when I was playing it, I would get upset because I'm like, well, partially just like I would get upset more at like the time it was created. I'm like, oh, you guys didn't have these like nuances, right, right of like right. understanding how people play games or understanding like semiotics and stuff like that of how to like, I don't know, like design levels, right, or, like how exactly. systems work. But part of that's just because it was made before then, and also part of it's like. Those things are in Half-Life in a really primitive way because they were created kind of by Half-Life and then iterated on exactly, to yeah. the point that they are today. Yeah. Um, but I guess like one thing we already talked about is that there's no cutscenes in the game. Exactly. It's all which, like scripted events. And... That's kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. I don't know. One thing about the game I didn't really know about is like Gordon Freeman as a character. <laughs> I've never understood. <laughs> yeah. Because like he's just like championed on like Reddit and all these like internet communities as like this cool looking dude when he's it's just ridiculous. like like a wasn't he like a quantum physics dude from MIT? Yeah, it's, they open it up and uh, what is it like on the little? Uh, I think it's one of the only times that there's text on screen beyond yeah. like, the chapter introductions. Yeah, it's no, like, when you're like on the train moving into the exactly. game or moving into Black Mesa at the very beginning, yeah. it like flashes like. Gordon Freeman, age, yeah. occupation, and like PhD in theoretical physics from yep. MIT. Um, which is like fairly hysterical for like several reasons. Like again, within the first ten minutes of the game, like, like if you play the right way, you already have a gun and are like just going through it. Yeah, and, like I don't know. You got your. He doesn't really make a lot of sense. You but. got your hazmat suit. You got yeah. your your drum and bass going. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so good. Honestly, top ten best moments in video games. That's like number three. Okay, so I guess. I mean, there's. I don't really know how to like even go through a conversation with this because there's so many right. ways to go. But I guess like mm -hmm. we could just start off like talking about the very beginning of the game. Right. Okay. The game starts and you're on this like train. Yeah. On a rail moving in. It reminded me a lot of Bioshock in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there have been like a lot of comparisons about how much Bioshock has like been influenced by Half-Life. Yeah. And the more I think about it now in this moment. There's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess just like on this opening thing, you're on this like rail car moving down this track into Black Mesa, into the facility. Yeah. You learn your PhD in theoretical physics. And late for work. And late for work, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The one day you're late for exactly. work. Exactly. It all hell breaks loose. Yeah. But, you know, you're just kind of walking around and it's just like there's like this wind, like this dust yeah. kind of sound and then like silence. And also there's these really weird like sound effects with like your steps Oh, yeah. Just, like, these really weird, like, isolated steps, which I kind of liked. Yeah. Like, these, I, I don't know, just how they didn't exactly, like, blend together, and they're, like, clanging together. And then if you, like, go through a checkpoint, your steps would just, like, stop. Yeah. And you freeze up for, like, a split second and yeah. then go. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it makes this really, uh, 
I guess like this really just like very serious uh, kind of tone going yeah. into the game where you're just like slowly lurching toward exactly. this place, very quiet. Um, and you're just like walking through this facility. There's like a little computer in the opening lobby. You can like press a button on and it opens up and someone screams at you. Yeah, yeah. About it. Um, the flipping on an alarm. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. Yeah. All that. But then you uh, you go, you find your environmental suit. And as soon as you put it on, just this like booming oh, breakbeat soundtrack comes yes. in. And I kind of started screaming just because... Cause I didn't know, cause I yeah. really had no idea like what this game was going to be. I just yeah. like, I know people always talk about Half-Life and everything mm -hmm. and I was excited to like play it or at least like kind of see what it's all about. Yeah. And then I was playing it and I was like, this is kind of, this is kind of weirdly like off putting. Yeah. And then <laughs> I get to the, the suit and mm -hmm. then it just starts and I was like, oh, it was 1998. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very good time. Like the soundtrack for the game really contributes, I think, uh, and like, I don't know, it doesn't exactly know what tone it's trying to strike. Because like, I listened to the soundtrack like in full. Yeah. And there are a bunch of tracks. It sounds like this weird blend of like post-rock, industrial, and then just breakbeat. Yeah. And it's really great. Whenever the breakbeat stuff shows up, it's borderline comical. Mm -hmm. um, well, just because it'll like, there are moments that I remember yeah. coming in because there's like, well, I guess we're going to spoil the story of yeah. Half-Life. Um, yeah. There's, so after... Like the Black Mesa incident, where yeah, the like this, cascade, yeah, yeah. So yeah. these aliens like start coming into the facility. Yeah. Shit goes crazy, and then Marines come in to try to like cover it up, kill everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but when you first start having to like shoot United States soldiers, mm -hmm. um, the breakbeat comes in again, and I yeah. was like, this is a crazy tonal moment <laughs> because like you're shooting at a human person, yes, and then it's like just fucking going to eleven. Yeah, it's I don't know, like. And also, there's going to be links to the soundtrack in the oh, in the description. I'm I'm eagerly awaiting the re-release of this soundtrack. Yeah, in some form or fashion. No streaming the, platform. No, has nothing. it or anything. It's, it's just, wild. It's only on YouTube now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know. Again, like like we said, like well, you were talking about Gordon Freeman, like as a character. That's it's, always the weirdest thing to it's me. It's so strange. Yeah, he's like idolized based on a character model that one you never really see during the actual games. No, nope. because there are no cutscenes, which is cool. Um, yeah. If it weren't for the box art, you wouldn't even know what the person looked like. No. Um, and. But yeah, everybody, you walk up to everybody and like, yeah. they're like, which I can get into this as far as like design theory yeah, behind exactly, the game. Yeah. But like they all, you they walk up and they're like, oh, Gordon Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Freeman. Yeah. Thank God. Or something like that. Or, oh, you made it. And I'm just like, this is a weird way for people to interact with like a person. Exactly. Yeah. Just like. I don't know, just like praising this person or just like screaming their name at them and like affirming that it's them. Right, exactly. God. Man, they're exposition machines. They're really great. Yeah, um, but I mean, also there's just, it's part of the time. Exactly. It's a little yeah. bit different. Um, honestly, really the only experience of like PC mm -hmm. first person shooters I had before this uh, were both games that came out before this. Really? Um, I'm interested to hear. So one was Doom, right, just because, right. I don't know, it's Doom. Everyone and the other, Doom, yeah. the other was Dark Forces. I don't think um, I've ever even heard of Dark Star Wars Forces. Dark Forces. Ooh. So actually, so I have a few games on the table that I was, some materials. Oh, nice. So one of them is the Star Wars game called Lethal Alliance, which right. actually is like one of my, Star Wars games are kind of crazy, mm -hmm. like old Star Wars games. This one's made like 2007, so not right. like old, old, but um, I have it here for a reason I'm going to explain. Uh, mm -hmm. So Dark Forces is basically a Doom clone with a Star Wars skin on it. So you're shooting Stormtroopers. And the first mission, I think you're playing Dash Rindar. I think that's who you're playing as. Um, 
the first mission has you going to steal the Death Star plans. Yeah. Which that's literally the plot of Rogue One. So this is the Rogue One video game, essentially. Well, that's not that's a different one, but also that game is you on a mission as a mercenary within the Star Wars universe to right. steal the Death Star plans as well. So there, there are several interpretations. Of this yeah, event. well, I mean, it's I guess like yeah. Disney has axed everything that's not the movies, but can't believe it. Dark Forces and Lethal Alliance. Right. I don't know. Lethal Alliance. Dark Forces is really cool. I think which which narrative do you prefer as like the real way that it happened? I, guess. I think I like Lethal Alliance because you're playing okay. as like this female mercenary with her robot sidekick, and it, like yeah. you can switch between the perspectives. It's not the best game. I'll say it's actually a bad game. <laughs> as far as like controls go just because right. like the mission or two that i played i was like man this thing was designed for the nintendo ds wasn't it mm-hmm. also i didn't say that it's a ubisoft developed nintendo ds star wars game right um and it's not the best design thing but it's pretty fucking cool it looks really strange like the one dual screen screen cap they have here i can't really tell what's going on in it yeah like they have one where they blew up the top screen and it's like oh they're running you know yeah. in 3d space and then the top one here i have absolutely yeah i can't you kind of use the robot out. as like i don't think you ever have conversations with it but you use it to like gl- glide on like metal tracks on the roof really and then also you use it to like disable like or like solve puzzles disable things things like small spaces but yeah so that's why i have star nice. wars lethal alliance that's one of the three games that i brought along to this podcast That's very interesting um but yeah so those are doom and then dark forces are like the two right. kind of like pre half-life pc first person shooters i have experiences with right. them both of, well doom is just like i guess the reason i brought both of those up is because mm-hmm. they both feel kind of placeless right. um and that doom like you know you have like the mars base and you have hell exactly yeah you have all these things and then star wars like star wars brings with it a sense of lore exactly and yeah. it brings with it like this like sense of place but like playing it you're just like i don't even no matter how many screens of text i read exactly like i sure i'm going to get the death star plans but like do i really care about where this place is yeah exactly it's not it's really somewhere yeah like, those yeah. games are so much more about the movement and the combat dynamics exactly. and and just kind of like shooting people uh in like interviews and everything and talking about half-life gabe newell said they didn't want to make one of these um shooting galleries was like a term that came up over and over because i mean that's essentially what doom and what dark forces breaks down to right right right. is kind of a just shooting shooting enemies in different ways different enemies Mm -hmm. shooting different things at you and you have to shoot them (laughs) you have to shoot them differently if they're different enemies exactly um so they didn't want to make a shooting gallery they wanted to give this place like a sense of of like environment in a sense i guess like placefulness absolutely yeah if that's a word so a lot of that comes in i think uh which i mean that's like kind of one of the things that struck me at first about this game was like Mm. how how much it did feel like an actual space yeah um and a lot of that comes in with like the interactability of it so there's Mm -hmm. like lots of doors levers wheels boxes things you can grab things you can move around exactly um like there's one puzzle i remember where you basically have like a map of the environment you're standing in Mm -hmm. and you just like move like levers to move these crosshairs across it to target missiles to shoot down and you have to Mm -hmm. use that to like shoot this big like monster that's in the middle of the field but like so that kind of thing where like this object is like highly interactable and actually affects the environment around you is like really kind of crazy to me yeah it's insane that again like we keep coming back to that it's insane that you know ideas like this were floating around in 1998 and still persist like until today or like i don't know how much they've impacted game design today definitely um you said placefulness like in regards to this game obviously like black mesa feels like i don't know there's such like a distinct feel to this environment and you're in it for most of the game like until like 
almost the very last portion of the game. Uh, you're pretty much stuck within this facility. You get to know like everything about it. I even heard one. Uh, I heard one person compare it to like Die Hard, in the way that like you're using the building's like architecture. That's like, an interesting comparison yeah. because I do have something about that that comes up right. later. That's I do, interesting. I do have a point about Die Hard that comes up yeah. later. But yeah, I don't. I never thought about that. Yeah. Damn it. It's it's because Die Hard's fucking cool. Yeah, I love like. I don't know, setting it in, like, Black Mesa feels at once so, like, constrictive and, like, yeah. almost, like, suffocating, but at the same time, the place is massive. It's yeah. honestly labyrinthian is probably, like, the best way to describe yeah. it. It's like a giant maze. And, and there's a lot of, like, different areas where, like, you have to figure out, like, oh, yeah. how the environment goes, and it's almost like a platformer in some areas. Oh, absolutely, Well, actually, yeah. it's, it's a lot like a platformer. Yeah, whenever you're jumping on crates and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And a yeah. lot of, like, uh, some of the things I was looking at before this... Um, you had people who worked on the game talking about how um, they wanted to complicate combat by putting like just regular combat scenarios in like difficult like right, environmental right. areas or different like platforming areas. Exactly. So things yeah. like that like are on the side of a canyon or things like that are... Or whenever you're going like up the elevator. That's the scene that comes to mind uh, with me. I think it's in On a Rail whenever you're in the cart and you start oh, going Oh, fuck up. that yes. cart scene. That fucking cart scene. Oh, it's awful. It's maybe the worst level in the game. But that's honestly, a really great combat interaction whenever honestly, going up the elevator though. I like that level a lot, honestly. You, you like on a rail. Yeah. That's interesting. It fucked me up for like, like yeah. I, the speed run could probably take five minutes and it took me probably two hours. Yeah. But on a, and I got like stuck, I got off the cart and then it kept looping back to me. Yeah, and it like, requires like so much of just knowing almost exactly what you're doing. Yeah, but no, there's some really cool stuff in that level. Yeah. Really cool shit. I didn't even think about that. I put like some like just different notes about like puzzles and things like yeah. that in this game, like the, the crosshairs on the map. And mm -hmm. then there's also like this one puzzle about like conveyor belts, but also an yeah. on a rail where you're moving through this like underground tunnel system yeah. on this rail car. You have to like shoot. I mean, kind of in that old like uh, like Looney Tunes, like yeah, kind of like yeah. slapstick thing of having to like change the direction of the rail and everything. Yeah. Like you have to like shoot, the... shoot like a little sign that has like an arrow on it. That's yeah. Pointing in one direction and also just just thinking about like a like a scientific like laboratory. Oh, yeah. It's it's like, absurd that they operate in this way. They're yeah. like, you got to slap it or you got to throw something at it to be able to <laughs> exactly. get this cart going the right way. Yeah. How does this work on any other day besides like the resonance cascade Wait, day? He was late to work, you know? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. they had to install that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Also, so we were talking about like kind of this continuous nature mm -hmm. of it. Another one of the games that I have down there is uh, Chronicles of Riddick. Ooh, yes. um, so I've done a podcast about, about both of these games, but I was mainly talking about Escape from Butcher Bay right. in the sense that the game is so much about like moving through this space, not always having weapons, um, right. but having to use the environment to move through this like continuous space and also having to read a space. Right. So that's like a lot of the things that came to mind with this like first person, um, no real breaks right, yeah. in it or anything like that. Um, obviously, some some different developments had happened with like <laughs> the type of storytelling in, in Chronicles exactly, of Riddick yeah. you have, partially because it's so based around the character of Riddick and everything. Mm -hmm. You have cutscenes with Vin Diesel in the game. Exactly. Um, and you like see his face, you see the character and everything. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as like the range of movement and also the environmental puzzles. Mm. I was reminded a lot of Chronicles of Riddick Escape from Butcher Bay. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. and I think, like you said, again, space, I think, plays just such a key part yeah. in that game as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like, aware of Butcher Bay. I haven't, yeah. like, played that much of it. It's chill. So, yeah, if you want to borrow it, you it's, can. It's a classic, be, in my opinion. Very, very nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat. Very no, good. Uh, like, anything that takes place, like, again, kind of, like, in that environment that we were talking about, where it's, like, 
semi-constrictive, but like, I don't know, you really kind of get a sense for the space that you're operating in like after a while. I don't yeah. know. It's really interesting. Like, it's also kind of infuriating, especially in Half-Life. Like the moments, the one obviously that comes to mind, it's fairly early on in the game uh, with the tentacles coming out of like oh, on the ground. Yep, that yep, one yep. where you have to backtrack, like I think three or four times. Like you have to go switch on the oxygen and the fire. And then, like, go switch on the power. That was come a, back to the main deal. That was a pretty cool was, puzzle. I'll be it was, honest. It's it's a really like it's a good puzzle. And then, again, like it's it is a little bit infuriating because you're like, yeah. okay, guys, I gotta run through here and I gotta get attacked like three different times. Exactly, and then yeah. I think I've got one of them, but I don't fully understand how yeah. this thing works. So then I go and try to trigger this like attack, and then I'm like, oh, I didn't get the the right. full range of like exactly. resources going and pumping and everything. It, it does lead to a really great scripted event, which like I'm sure again for 1998 that had to be like. So satisfying like the solutions to almost every puzzle i think have like a really kind of satisfying conclusion to them like even it's right before i think you get to on a rail uh with one of the other like first big enemies that you encounter where you have to uh switch the generator oh, back on and yep, drag yep. them in between the two uh yeah whatever the electrical like, yeah conduits yeah i remember that yeah I don't know. Those are like really kind of satisfying, like combat based puzzles, which I guess goes back to what they were saying where they don't want it to be like shooting galleries and yeah. make the combat more challenging than just, yeah. you know. Um, so I guess uh, another thing I could talk about is there's this article in Gama Sutra, which Ooh. is this outlet about kind of game design, game business, right. game industry. Um, and it was kind of like a, a development blog from one of the guys on the team mm -hmm. uh, whose name was Ken Birdwell. And this will be in the show notes as well. Right. But it's talking about kind of like development process mm -hmm. of, of Half-Life. So uh, I guess in the development history, I think around 1997, they were trying to show this game and trying to get someone to buy it and distribute it. Right. Because uh, they were a small team and everything. And I mean, around that time, they had like these cool ideas, but there was no real like design cohesion and the game just like they did. They didn't think it was very fun. Right, right, right. So essentially what they did is that they took their team and they made like a small team mm -hmm. um, who was assigned to make a prototype. And essentially they looked at the whole game they had of kind of these disjointed levels and everything. And they identified like cool moments, cool ideas, right. um, puzzles, m like m movements, whatever. And kind of gave all these different ideas to this team and gave them a month to make this prototype level and just kind of wow. iterate on it and keep going. And the result they got was described, this is what Die Hard ties in, <laughs> yeah. was described as Die, uh, Die Hard meets Evil Dead. That's and so, really great. Yeah. So then that was kind of the baseline they used for the rest of the game. And, and then kind of out of that, they ended up kind of coming up with three main theories of design for the game. So mm -hmm. one, uh, and again, these are all from the article. These are not me right, identifying right, right. these things. Uh, one is experiential density. Mm -hmm. um, so they wanted the game. We're talking about this game being placeful, this mm -hmm. game having, um, I guess, like an, ide an identity to its space. Uh, right. What they were looking at is how many different like experiences or interactions or moments, like how are they spaced out? Right, right. How is the player experience spaced out? Is it based on like time? Or are you just mm -hmm. going to have like a stream of enemies spawning or something like that? Right. Um, and what they ended up deciding was to have it spaced out, like I guess spatially. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that's kind of redundant, but <laughs> yeah. where basically the player controls the pace of the game. So if you're speed it's running, yeah. you get a lot of shit happening, mm -hmm. but if you're not, you get the same amount. It's just spaced out over time. And that's, then you, yeah. you can kind of decide and go at your own pace. Mm -hmm. Um, so the player essentially controls time and controls the experience. Right. Um, right. and then kind of building the game around the player again, another one of these theories is player acknowledgement. And this mm -hmm. ties into kind of like how the NPCs interact with you. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, they wanted this world to be one that like responds and like bends to the player. Right, um, yeah. 
and in that way, like the main thing they were looking at was like whenever someone like shoots a wall or something like that, they wanted to like put like a, a decal on the wall to make it look like there was a bullet yeah. mark. Yeah. And then also this ties into like the interactable objects um, and all these different things. And there's also like breakable objects like boxes with, mm -hmm. uh, with items in them and movable boxes um, and things like that. And then also, of course, you have NPCs that respond to players. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. And then then the third theory of design, which is kind of the one that I have my like this is where my complaints are going to come in right, right, right. about the game uh, is that failure is the player's fault. Um, I guess with that, it was just like the solutions there. It's just the player wasn't playing the game properly well right. that's like a cynical way of viewing exactly, it exactly yeah but making it where you feel like it's your fault rather than the game being unfair right um and in this way the game reminds me of the game the witness i haven't i haven't played the witness okay how much do you know about the witness i know nothing about the witness actually. okay how much do you know about the game braid braid i know a little bit like a little i know bit. yeah okay uh so braid was like one of kind of the first big like xbox 360 right. indie games uh the xbox live arcade mm -hmm. um yeah. is made by this guy named jonathan blow who he's just like all about you know player discovery um the euphoria of, of <laughs> yeah. players like figuring out things right um but he made this game called braid where you like kind of control time it's just like classic style platformer yeah um but after several several years of working on this other game called the witness it was released last year and it's basically this game where you're on this island and you have a lot of like basically the island has like no other people on it it's just this first person game where you walk around and there's just panels with line puzzles on them Really? just like grids and you draw lines and then some of the grids have different shapes or colors or just different rules that you learn and there's no real words that communicate it to yeah. you ever except for the first time where it tells you how to like bring up the cursor to right. draw one of the puzzle lines um and so the game like you kind of just like bang your head against the wall like i have iphone notes in my phone where you can yeah. like draw different things and i like drew out puzzle grids mm -hmm. and tried to like solve these things on my phone and tried out like different different ways of solving them yeah um like not even when I was playing the game at all. It kind of like wow. takes over your mind a little yeah. bit. Um, but anyway, so the way that game ties into this is that uh, the game has is filled, I think Danielle Riendo, who's over at Waypoint, talks right. about this a little bit, um, but the game's filled with kind of this uh, um, kind of like tech bro, Silicon Valley utopianism uh, around yeah. like logic. Logic oh, being, yeah. logic and reason being the one solution to all problems. Mm -hmm. And in that, it feels like whenever you have a like trouble solving something, it's all your fault and you'll see it eventually. You're just right, kind of right, stupid right. right now. That's not obviously what Jonathan Blow meant. Yeah. And that's like not what companies like like Uber or things like that mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But or and that's also not what Valve meant when they were designing Half Life. But whenever I'd run into a, a problem, mm -hmm. like some of the problems I ended up running into by the time that I decided not to finish the game. Right. I was like, man, I just I feel like I'm, this game is demeaning to me. Right, exactly. And treating me in this weird way in the way that, like, it's my fault right. that I'm not getting past this thing. I'm just not seeing it properly. Right, right. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. I, I can see where you're coming from, especially since, like, again, early on, yeah. most of, like, these game design principles just, like, yeah. weren't around. But if this was, like, I don't know, like, an active part of their design process to, like, I don't know, keep it deliberately, like scarce as far yeah. as the information goes like i get one thing of like you know oh the player is supposed to you know figure it out with time and making difficult yeah. puzzles isn't like a crime by any means but like i don't know there is something to be said of, about like 
I don't know, that can alienate like a big portion yeah. of the audience and also make like your user base <laughs> feel like children, which is not something that you want to do yeah. as a developer. And of course, like when I said that, that seemed like this really intense, like kind of critique of the game or anything like that. I still really enjoy Half-Life. Right, yeah. I think it's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I ended up not finishing it just because like this kind of creeping sense that I got from it. Yeah. But also limiting information and things like that is really cool because that's how games like Riddick uh, like the things I like about Riddick and the things from Riddick that I like about Half-Life are come from this thing of limiting information and you kind of figuring out shit on your own. Exactly, yeah. So. I mean, yeah, you don't want to hold handing either. Or hand holding yeah. either. But um but yeah, wait, have we uh, talked about story that much at all? Beyond Gordon's Not really. No. Okay, so there's thereof? so there's Gordon Freeman yeah. who is just kind of this like blank, non speaking, you don't see him ever, except exactly. for like his arms and the cover of the game. Right. Um, kind of projectable. Uh, exactly. image of like a white nerd dude yeah. who's also a badass exactly and just, like, presumably like the user base for the game like basically yeah, yeah. exactly that's what, that's a little bit of a thing and just yeah. like instantly knows how to like use guns yeah and things like that yeah it's like his characterization is just like not great at all yeah um, not the best but, but he's okay. in a, he is a thing that the player embodies to do these really cool kind yeah. of platforming sections mm. solving all these different things so yeah to make to make a comparison if i yeah, can um, absolutely i mean we were we were just kind of like making fun of it a little bit but like to me it almost reads like mad max fury road in a way okay um yeah where again you have like this blank face and this isn't this isn't necessarily something that's isolated to half-life it's been done in other games and like the silent protagonist thing mm -hmm. uh you're embodying a blank slate in order to explore like a larger place and since black mesa is such like a big part especially of the first game yeah um it's more so about the environment than like gordon yeah is um and like i don't know it's really interesting to kind of see the story unfold almost entirely like not even by dialogue exchanges but by like observation yeah exactly being just there. like yeah like whenever you start coming to the realization of like what they were actually doing at black mesa and all that um i don't know it it evolves in a really kind of like organic way i think over time yeah um, which is like again we keep going back to it 1998 i don't know how you would get the idea of telling a story that way like this yeah. early on like i don't know it was really ahead of its time it's neat yeah it's really cool and also that comparison to mad max i didn't really think about that but yeah mad max in the movie mm -hmm. is kind of just like this very passive yeah um dude which i guess like the mad max movies are all about this this they're all episodic um right. this guy comes into this town comes into this like civilization grouping of people exactly. and they have a problem he helps fix it mm -hmm. usually kind of flat personality wise right yeah but i mean he it's kind of this like you have like a little bit of knowledge about his backstory of his family yeah. uh dying and then that's like yeah. that's about it but it works though yeah it's more a way for like the viewers to kind of like see the environment that yeah. like they're living in now and it's i don't know it's really more about like the world that they're living in than max and, yeah like in in the same way that you know half-life is more about like i don't know um like these kind of general like sci-fi themes i guess of yeah. like you know science going too far like that kind of stuff yeah like I which know. I don't know the way it takes on sci-fi. You said it focused more on like the science earlier. Yeah, like not not like in like an overtly like hard sci-fi way, but yeah, like yeah. in more like okay, let's set this in a laboratory and have it kind of center around that instead of like a military aspect. Mm -hmm. or, but it's really yeah. weird 
because like being in 1998 there's obviously a lot of like I guess a lot of like really big uh, like multinational corporations, right, uh, right, right? Especially around like technology. Technology is like kind mm -hmm. of. I guess back then there was still like not a whole lot of transparency and just like a general kind of like utopian, but also kind of like a uh, sleazy image <laughs> right, around right. technology and like yuppies a little bit still. Yeah. Um, and I think this game kind of captures that because it does have like this weird kind of like corporate feel to oh, everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. Like the voiceover whenever you're riding on the tram and stuff. and um, Which what is the, I guess oh, like, yeah. well, go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say like, um, what is it? They're constantly, not constantly, they mention it like a one-off kind of joke. But like they're talking about like the positions that are available as like, you know, the lower level security officers and then also like hazardous material handlers and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And it's done in like such an inhuman way. Yeah, and, like very much like, uh, I guess like the language they use being this very like kind of stripped down. Oh, yeah. Um and and kind of sterilized language yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's it's cool uh one thing i just pulled up on the screen is uh, this guy named mark laidlaw who's the guy who wrote mm -hmm. half-life right uh which i mean i guess the way he decided to tell the story was very like i don't know it's done in this like not sparse but just this very different way where it's mm -hmm. again we've talked about it a little bit but like not not through like pages of text yeah. not through cutscenes, and i mean it's partially like through this like people addressing you directly yeah and like you the, never the say anything every once in a while yeah like whenever the the marines get introduced for the first time it's like by this uh scientist like running up to one of them going oh thank goodness we're saved and then they get like you yeah know, offed and like but it's done through these kind of cool like it's yeah. not always just like people telling you but sometimes it's like a lot of like action like right, the guy right. getting laid off yeah yeah exactly um like to detour from the story a little bit yeah. um just like i don't know environmentally like there are so many scenes in here. I don't know why I decided to jump on this tangent. But, it's good, yeah. Um, no, that's like, this podcast is all tangents <laughs> every time. Exactly. Um, but no, to go back to like the Evil Dead thing, like that's just kind of been floating around in the back of my mind. There are moments in here that are like legitimately frightening. Yeah. Like not necessarily just the corporate aspects, and we'll get back to that in a moment. Yeah. But like, I don't know. There were moments in this that I didn't pick up on whenever I was younger, just as far as like one, how terrifying it is uh, to even just suddenly like encounter the knowledge that there are like aliens and like having, I don't know, being trapped like in such like a large, you know, labyrinth yeah. type facility uh, yeah. with like this new discovery. Which I guess this also ties into Die Hard because in Die Hard, you're literally like it's John, it's John McClane uh, like trapped with. Which, I mean, that movie's basically about, like, globalization. Right, right, right. Um, but it's, like, this white American hero trapped yeah. in this Japanese corporate headquarters being attacked by, I think, German terrorists? I think it's been a while since I've seen Die Hard. It's, it's German or Russian. It's one yeah, of the two. One of the two. It's one of the The two. white other, yeah. basically. <laughs> um, I like the way he has to use, like, the environment of this, right, like, right, right. corporate, still being built, unfinished yeah. building that looks nice on the outside, but inside it's, like, unfinished. That's another metaphor for another time. Exactly, yeah. But still, like, being trapped with these, like, these threats right. or terrorists um, mm -hmm. inside of this corporate building and not being able to leave. Right, right, right. Yep. And then also the authorities at B not trusting you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which that also ties into Half-Life because it's mm -hmm. a government plot, not just corporate, but yeah, then, you exactly. know whole thing to be made there it's a lot um i'm trying to think i mean i didn't think about this i guess until just now i wonder how much of this like i mean i think most things were probably influenced by the x-files in one way or another yeah that were being made like around this time period and were horror and or sci-fi yeah um 
but I don't know. I really like the blend of like, again, horror sci-fi that came out at around this time. Yeah. Um, one really memorable moment, which I just kind of want to bring up. Is yeah. Like, yeah. I've got a few moments I wanted to run through as well. Oh, nice. Solid. Um, one of the images that like still remains in my head is uh, like right after the resonance cascade happens and you're running uh, through just one of the office hallways or whatever. And the yeah. office building section of this is, I think, arguably the scariest part of the game. And it's when like that more like industrial, like, I don't know, not industrial, more like ambient part of the soundtrack comes in. And it's more just kind of like that, I don't know, weird, like, I don't know, just reverberation like going mm -hmm. on in the soundtrack and everything. It's neat. Um, but yeah, it's all the uh, like office suites that have been like kind of destroyed in this initial deal and you go inside one of the rooms and it's one of the scientists just sitting in front of like the flashing tv and they're showing off how good their lighting effects are mm -hmm. and it's just really unsettling because uh well one it shows like how one of the alien forms works uh which are the head crabs that like jump on your head you know like the face yeah. is an alien um and i don't know that's just a again if we're going back to environmental storytelling that's one really kind of good way to explain why some of the aliens are the way that they are and yeah like each of their attack mechanisms like serves a purpose yeah exactly yeah. i don't know just like seeing that and you instantly get it which part of that may just be like having seen alien yeah exactly and also yeah. like having played half-life 2 a little bit in the orange box yeah. and like knowing how the head crabs work and everything like that Yeah, exactly yeah. i don't know but a few of the moments that i had were yeah. there was like and also, now that I'm thinking about it, a lot of this game does come from other sources. Yeah, yeah. Um, where, like, there's the Bioshock train thing at the beginning. Exactly. Well, yeah. they didn't steal from Bioshock, actually. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of bad. There's a train thing at the beginning, which then went on to impact yeah. Bioshock. There's, like, the trash compactor you get thrown into oh, after yeah. you get caught by the government. That's yeah. kind of Star Wars. Oh, yeah, very much so. And um, also, I, again, that goes back to, like, X-Files. But that's really with any, like, government intervention in the game. I think yeah. that feels kind of X-Files-ish. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we already talked about this three tentacles battle. That was oh, kind of yeah. cool. A lot of the puzzles really in the game are really interesting to me. Like there was one, I don't know, it feels kind of like, uh, or I guess like very obviously influenced by Doom in the way that like most yeah. first person shooters kind of trace back to Doom, mm -hmm. um, where a lot of the combat interactions slightly feel like puzzles yeah, yeah. Um, where you have different enemy types and you have to figure out different ways to interface with this like selection of enemies when you know different ways that they attack exactly and different yeah. ways you have to take them down and prioritizing those mm -hmm. uh, but there was one where you come out and it's like you're at this dam right and there's like a helicopter flying overhead there's a mm -hmm. turret and then there's like this tower right off to the side where like people are and you have to like figure out which way to take it and i think the way you do it is that you like dive into the dam you climb up this tower take out the people mm -hmm. and there's a rocket launcher in there that right. like motion tracks your laser yeah. aiming so then you shoot at the <laughs> helicopter and then you shoot at the turret yeah but i don't know that's just like one example of the way that these different like kind of puzzles work yeah or exactly yeah also there's that one you were talking about earlier where you have to like turn on the generator and get this big monster to walk through this like yeah basically wall of electricity mm -hmm. with that one it took me a while as far as figuring out the different ways you had to like turn on different things exactly yeah in order to make different things go because mm -hmm. there's also like a rotating like mine cart yeah kind of like track uh mm -hmm. and just all these different elements you have to like do in the sequence exactly but again it's not really signaled to you in any way outside of just like the space yeah like the the stuff's there you just kind of have to figure out how to use it which i guess was yeah we kind of talking about earlier but uh let's see i don't know yeah. the underground train sequence is this are we talking about on the rails on so, the rails yeah on the rails i uh, think that level like that yeah. level's pretty good yeah it's I don't know it still it makes me really mad um, no i understand because there was like yeah. times when i fell off and i was like in water and i was trying to get back up on the tracks uh -huh. and it, 
it's it's a lot um and also the fact that like half the hallways in that section look exactly the same yeah um, it's like i don't really know how to describe like i get what they were going for i guess where that's like intentionally like kind of a maze like section yeah. um but it just came off as like just frustrating to yeah me more than anything else and like I don't know. There was just something that I didn't like about it beyond like the little moments in that section. Like again, the elevator scene, whenever you finally get the cart, like once there is some variance in what you're seeing during yeah. the sequence, then I'm like, okay, I'm on board. But whenever you're stuck like between those three or four hallways that look exactly the same and you have to do the track switching, um, I guess this comes from like, oh, the players <laughs> make up how long the game is. Yeah. That can add like an extra hour or two to like your game. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. It's, I don't know. It's a unique level in the game. There's not, like, another section yeah. like it, but I don't know. I didn't really think about this before, but how this game's kind of about, like, uh, turn-of-the-century, like, corporate anxieties or anxieties about really? corporations. Well, I don't know That's because... Yeah. Or at least, like, it's kind of about corporations, but at the end of the day, like, the game's about the government, mm. government intervention or anything like that. But it's, like, it feels like a lot of these, like, spaces of, like, these very sterile, like, laboratories right. or or these, like, office spaces you were talking right. about earlier. Yeah. Um, or even just, like, these, like, pieces of infrastructure, like these mm. looping train tunnels and everything that yeah, are exactly. just kind of, like, this constant loop that you don't really know how to navigate yeah. at first. You don't see, like, the outside of the facility until, like, yeah. a good way through the game. Like, you start, and you're already, like, deep within, like, the mountain. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a crazy time. And I, I guess I can kind of see where you're coming from in that respect. Like, you're so, again, like, constrained for yeah. most of the game. Like, there's no, like, open air until, yeah. I, well, I guess it depends on how fast you play, but yeah. until roughly, like, a few hours in. But yeah. It's neat. I don't know. But then also another thing, I've been thinking about The Matrix a lot lately. Oh, yeah. Which that's just like, why wouldn't you? The Matrix is right. amazing. Exa yeah. But it does kind of like remind me of The Matrix a little bit in terms of like just like the, the government involvement in this and like the G-Man character. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that guy's a whole... Yeah, a whole, whole nother deal. I think I really don't know how much like valve had even planned to invest in this series at the time so i don't yeah. know if they like that's I mean, the thing is, like, is that like how yeah. much did they actually like did they know this was going to turn into this like internet fuck thing yeah like <laughs> i have no idea if they expected it to be as successful as it yeah. was or like because like the, have to think as deeply about the lore as like, yeah because like going to dig into it like we were talking about this before we started recording this but like the yeah. wikipedia page for this story is oh, so much insane. it's so much more detailed than like i ever thought like it would be because like i was yeah. reading it and i was like did i play through this section yeah was this before or after i stopped yeah it's it's a wild time just because like i did not know some of these things held that much importance or even meant that yeah it's like and i don't know how much of that is people revisiting the game or like how much of it is like almost adding to it uh like you know in half-life 2 because there there are like a few well actually like a bunch of callbacks in like half-life 2 to the yeah. black mesa like research facility and yeah like what's you know what was going on there and they do give a little more depth to the g-man character than they do here but this honestly it just it reads to me as like again sci-fi horror like cosmic you yeah know, horror first person shooter and then also game. just like yeah early video game yeah, story exactly yeah like i Again, I don't think that they expected it to, like, blow up and become this, like, saga. But, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting that they went that way with it and that it's held, like, as much water. Like, with this foundation, yeah. has held as much water as it has. Yeah. 
I actually literally saw someone wearing a Half-Life shirt today. Wow. That's yeah. That's crazy. I think it's the only time I've ever seen it, but today. Oh, yeah. That's insane. I don't know. Encountering Half-Life in public is always this really weird thing to me. Yeah, I don't. Like, I people don't exactly actually know. People what... actually talking about it makes me uncomfortable a little bit, yeah. which I know that's what we're doing, but yeah. It's totally... Like, Strangers. Like, yeah, I understand, like, I don't know. Like you said, like, it does... I think the game attracts sort of that, uh, what was it? You were saying like the uh, Silicon Valley like tech bro audience. Yeah. It, it attracts that sort and then just people like, I don't know. There is like this weird superiority complex, which we mentioned earlier about yeah. PC gaming. And Half-Life is like a flagship PC game. So obviously like anyone who's like walking around wearing a Half-Life yeah. shirt might, you know. You know, it's yeah, could it's be. gaming. Yeah. I think the only other like significant Half-Life interaction I've had in real life was one time when I was going to buy the orange box on PS3, Yeah, which was a separate time than when I first had the orange box. That was on Xbox 360, which actually a PS3 version of orange box. Very, I mean, the orange box like holds its value pretty well. It's like $30 pretty much Mm -hmm. all the time. But the PS3 version has substantially worse load times oh no probably a bad version to own but anyway so i was right. buying it up at, at my local my local GameStop, electronic right. boutique games mm-hmm. whatever it was a GameStop at that point i just yeah, like saying yeah. electronic boutique games <laughs> um but and then the cashier like when i was buying it this was like in 2010 right she was like oh you know they're uh they're making a half-life 3 you know and i wow. was like are they she's like yeah they're coming out with it and i was like are they though yeah <laughs> is that what's happening it seems like i don't know half-life 3 and like the avatar like expanded universe of films yeah. always sealing like these concepts to me okay that, yeah. that's a really weird comparison to draw but no no i i think i see where you're coming from like but the avatar films always feel like these things where no matter like when it was in time yeah. after the first avatar movie was released mm-hmm. there was always like another avatar movie coming out within the next year exactly or like starting shooting within the next year and they still haven't really started yeah. apparently next year they're starting shooting on avatar 2 which like they're making the theme park at disney now that maybe that gives it a little more ground i think just yeah. because that means that there's major like yeah money floating around at no least, i mean there's but... actual like grounds to it this yeah. time because also i think massive entertainment which is the ubisoft studio behind the division also is like making an avatar game didn't they didn't they already make an avatar game yeah no. okay so they made one yeah. james cameron's avatar i've thought um, about buying it several times uh is it is it in a similar format because i know nothing about the avatar game okay but for me, initially, it seems like it would be like the Peter Jackson's King Kong game. Oh, I've thought about Is buying it? that a lot. Oh, it's very good. My older I... <laughs> brother had it. My older brother, he got an Xbox yeah. 360, and that was the first game he got for it. That's a really like interesting game. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So what what is the Avatar game like? I'm interested. Uh, I don't know exactly, but oh shit. Actually, there are these okay. really great YouTube videos that I'm going to link in the description okay. uh, of James Cameron talking to a pre- avatar world at e3 oh my god talking to a room full of games journalists and explaining the story of avatar and then explaining how at ubisoft they're going to make i remember watching that e3 actually yes that was crazy no whenever like the avatar world commercial it was like around the oscars in february yep um but there was an avatar world commercial that aired Mm -hmm. during that and then i just started thinking about avatar a lot and then i looked it up on youtube started researching the game more thought about buying the game yeah several times um and then I found these videos where he's talking to this pre-E3 room of games yeah. journalists just explaining the story. And everybody's like, wait, what? Yeah. And then he starts like talking about how Ubisoft, they're going to make this game that's going to use, which James Cameron's relationship with video games is always really, he's yeah. very salty and kind of rightfully so. Yeah. Mainly because Aliens is like the one of like the fundamental texts of like video game like right, lore. Right, right. 
because like the pulse rifle um Mm -hmm. space marines right all these different concepts kind of trace back to aliens yeah um but he said he's gonna make a video game and also terminator's another like Mm -hmm. one of the big like fundamental video game texts absolutely yeah um and so he said he was going to make a video game where uh you are like it tells a story that's like a, a good in james cameron's eyes one worth telling right right right. but one where you're interacting with it and you can like change sides between the humans and the navi right 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 at different points throughout the story and i don't really know uh (laughs) i've watched gameplay of it when i was thinking about buying it and it does not seem like the best made game yeah but honestly are there cool ideas floating around at least yeah where you can just like switch bodies uh switch sides yeah you can switch like like human and navi uh like type of mechanic i think explain that i think that's what that game was called um if i recall correctly because this was also like during that sheet era where like yeah i would just watch those because i didn't have the games yeah yeah um but anyway i think it was a gamecube game where you played like you were a marine or something it was one of those types of games but you uh died and were then a ghost and you could hop around bodies i'm googling yeah i think i'm almost positive it's called geist um oh fuck yeah Oh, no, it fuck. has really great cover art. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting game. It reminds me also a little bit of uh what is it? I think Psyops was the name. Of is that, that the one where you have like mind controls? Yeah, it's it's in that same vein. Yeah. Um, except I don't know. from what I understand, this one was actually like good. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well but, yeah. this looks kind of interesting. I may have to try to emulate this. Oh wait, yeah. I said that on, oh, on no. a podcast. Well, I'm getting arrested now. So. Yeah. <laughs> um I don't know, but there are a few games about, like, body swapping that are really interesting to me. Yeah. I always like whenever games, like, kind of fuck around with that because, like, oh, yeah. I don't know. Whenever games, like, I talked about this, like, on the DJ Hero podcast, mm-hmm. but when games try to, like, emulate reality, it's always, like, this weird thing that you can't really do. Yeah. So, like, why are you trying to do it? So whenever they, like, fuck around with things like that, it's really mm-hmm. interesting to me. Um, one of the games that I have uh, for the PS3 is called Driver San Francisco. I played uh, Driver, but with a three instead of the E, and that's oh, the experience I have. That's the and, good. Yes. That's yeah. I've seen the cover. I never played it. It's it is a GTA clone and not go. a good one. The only one I yeah. played is Driver San Francisco, and that's this game where you're like a cop and in a chase to like get this like runaway like I don't know high value prisoner like highly sought after right. prisoner. Um, you get in a car wreck and then you go into a coma and while in your coma you can like basically embody any car that's driving in san francisco um including Um, like criminal like i guess like within like the web of criminal organizations i played this yeah it's this sounds great it's fucking crazy so you can just like literally like there's a button Mm -hmm. to let your consciousness like loom over the city leave your car and then you just kind of float around pick one and then you become that car so you can like basically leave cars and make them torpedoes to go into like people you're like trying to like chase or you can become a car that's oncoming traffic for the car you're trying to catch and just like steer it into the dude could okay and then also you can become drivers of cars like i was saying within like criminal organizations and like become the driver of that car and then learn information about that and like learn about the guy who put you in the coma Uh by embodying someone in that car and having a conversation with them. This is maybe going to turn into a driver San Francisco podcast now because I want to find out more about this game. Um, I haven't played a whole lot of it just so you know, my copy of it, I don't know if it's my PS3 or the disc or if it's just a problem on driver San Francisco. (laughs) Um, but 
sometimes it'll just kind of say like loading and load the main oh, like no. menu screen yeah. uh, indefinitely. Oh, so no. I've tried playing it a few times and sometimes it just does that yeah. and it doesn't work, but I've played it a couple times. That's cool. What yeah. What is the in-universe explanation for not being able to jump into the car of the person that you're trying to catch? Or can you do that? I haven't I haven't played that much to even fuck around with that. Oh, honestly. Okay. That's yeah, that's <laughs> like, I think it may just say like sorry consciousness, you can't go in that one. <laughs> that's I'm actually pretty interested like in the lore surrounding that game because yeah. like I don't know, that's a pretty like original idea. Also, yeah. So I also have another thing to say about or like how this ties into another game, but keep going. Yeah, like okay, so do they also render like your consciousness? Like is there a three D model of like a ghost? It's kinda like... no, it's kinda like uh like the Halo Three Oracle where you're just like oh, kind of okay. this like floating gotcha. thing and you just like I think there's like a weird like kind of uh like abstraction sometimes of like yeah. the view of the city where like there are like waves that go across oh, it okay. or like ripples but mainly you just see like a crosshair i think i kind i kind of love like the i don't know yeah. i like the blend of like the supernatural and also like a gta clone no that's it's really, really cool yeah and uh one thing that's also kind of cool is just like a random tidbit this is the driver san francisco podcast now yeah yeah um, exactly yeah also a classic, but um, <laughs> it ties into Watch Dogs 2, which is another, Ooh, they're both Ubisoft okay. games. Yeah. Um, and it ties into Watch Dogs 2 because in Watch Dogs 2, the app you use to call a ride, mm-hmm. there's like an Uber app. The phone right. in Watch Dogs 2 is really cool. Yeah, like the yeah cell phone. I've seen some gameplay from it and it looks like... I don't know, it's just kind of yeah. like you use a cell phone like we do now, but there's a bunch of apps on there. Like you yeah. can become basically an Uber driver and like drive people to different That's things really cool. and like have conversations with them and then also you can call a ride to wherever you are i think this app called driver san francisco <laughs> it's just because you're in san yeah. francisco so it's called driver san francisco yeah yep. but one of those two apps is called that <laughs> nice. in the game yeah i would love i don't know i really need to play that actually yeah. um well i also need to play uh geist but oh i yeah. see now that the early working title was fear um style can we can we can uh, we what? pull up the release date for uh, First Encounter Assault Recon real quick and see if that's the reason why they had to nix that. Because uh, Half-Life also, like, if we're talking about, like, office spaces that are, yeah. like, I don't know, involved... I've wanted to play Fear several times. I've thought was, about it. For some reason, whenever I was, like, from the age of 10 to 12, this was one of them. This... Okay, this was yeah. October 17th, 2005. 2005? Was the... October 7th. Wow. Man. They changed it up. It's wild. Those supernatural like shooter games yeah. that are out here. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to talk about. I guess there's one game that's on the table I haven't talked about oh, yet, which right, is right. Far Cry 2, uh, which is another it's another classic, another PS3 classic. Right. Uh, this game is it reminds me of, of of Half Life because of the way that like resources are limited, right? Um, in a way, but also it's kind of polar opposites. Whereas Half Life is almost about and the way it tells its story and people react to you and the world bends to you it's about complete centralization of the player right um in that experience which also i mean that's just like kind of a novel idea for that time right far cry 2 is uh a game that when it came out people didn't like that game like you really? get you get like malaria and you have to get pills to take <laughs> your car will break down and you have to repair it that's pretty neat. um if yeah. you I don't know. It's pretty like brutal in terms of the way that it treats players, and it's yeah. kind of known for its decentralization yeah, of the player. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. But yeah, so in the way that you yeah. have to like your guns deteriorate over time, you have to unjam your gun um, if it if it's a bad quality gun or something like that. <laughs> that's really cool, actually. Yeah. I love those. Like, if this would have hit me, like, I don't know. Again, like around this middle school age, this yeah. probably would have been up there because I yeah. was 
Like, Which, I mean, of course, like, the game also has, like, this really bad... Um, let me see if I can find this... Was it Far Cry 3? This description of... Far of, Cry 2 that had the... Uh, the weed farm flamethrower that's scene. far cry 3 that's, that's far, far cry, cry 3 very okay. different okay. far cry there's okay i'm finding two tweets right now okay 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 so one of them uh, austin walker was giving this talk right at i think the nyu game center uh but at one point basically so what i'm talking about is the portrayal of africa in far cry 2 right not good uh it's just kind of like showing it as just this big old like mound of dirt right where you get malaria and just like everyone's in villages and there's just like there's a war happening everywhere just all these militia and austin walker editor-in-chief of waypoint uh said that what led to far cry 2's africa was quote vampire weekends indie pop meets afrobeat by way of paul simon what that's 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 a claim that's Mm -hmm. on it well i mean that makes sense, I guess. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, oh, wait. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. Basically, it was this tweet where this guy says that, like, Far Cry 2, uh, you hit a zebra with your car. Yeah. There's no music, no reward. Um, like, you've taken a soul out of existence. Yeah. And everything's quiet. Uh, Far Cry 3, if you run over a zebra with your car, like, um, uh, like electric guitar, but also, oh, like... Yeah um indigenous population uh, population like instruments play and you get like tribal like print across the screen that says like new like satchel unlocked oh it's when you go and skin the thing basically in the way that like it responds to different like player interactions yeah so that's that's insane so like were there different like teams working on far cry 2 and 3 or was it literally just probably like- i mean they were several years apart far cry 2 i think yeah. came out was it like 2007 8 uh 2008 yeah yeah 2008 and then far cry 3 came out i think in 2000 and what 12 10 11 it came out when i was in my last two years of high school i'm only like the only part of far cry 3 that i'm like pretty familiar with is blood dragon yeah but yeah blood dragon was yeah. you know that was it's not bad it's it's pretty okay I, you know John i like blood dragon yeah you know <laughs> i think uh what's his name the guy who played michael bean that's the name of yeah. the actor who played the guy sent back from the past or sent back from the future in terminator to right. eliminate the terminator and save sarah connor oh yeah, yeah yeah 80s action star who played the guy who's like just yelling at the tutorial in blood dragon i didn't realize that that was him that's yeah. wild yeah michael bean let me let me make sure I'm thinking of the same guy because on that same thread he was also on the X Files. For real? You mentioned earlier. Yeah, he uh, he comes in in the later seasons. Mm-hmm. What was it, Michael Bean? I don't think that this is the same guy. Never I think mind. I messed up. Wow, switched up. No, I really messed up. This is bad. Very bad. This isn't him. Wow. Yeah. Wait. So you said who was he in Terminator? Or he Terminator was two. He was in the original Terminator. He was the oh, guy that no, was. Oh no, I messed sent- up. I was thinking of T two. My bad. Who's the guy in T two? Oh, were you thinking uh, of a uh, like the. The, the T is it five thousand? I don't remember, but it was. but the amorphous yes, yeah. Terminator. Yeah, I was thinking of liquid metal Terminator. There you yeah. go. Yeah, but yeah, I'm trying to think other things about Half Life to talk about. Uh, again, the soundtrack I think is the best uh, best a- thing that I can say. Absolutely. Like, oh, so yeah. actually, one thing I was gonna say, you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, how it's not really available on any platform. Oh, did you find it? If you own Half Life in Steam, it is free DLC comes with it are you serious it's right there oh my god i have it pulled so up i was they, trying to i tried to download it earlier but i don't know how to access it oh wait released it 
So they released it in 2014. Oh, can you not download it like as system files? I'm not sure. I only, I'll figure it out. Okay. But it's free DLC. That's interesting. You have to use Steam as like your music player. Yeah. So if I ever want to listen to the Devil Daggers or Civilization Five <laughs> Brave New World original exactly. soundtrack, yeah. I have to go through Steam, and it kind of sucks. But you know, hey, what do you? Yeah. Gonna, I mean, sometimes you just got to hear that Devil Daggers music. Exactly. Also, I think the combined like soundtrack length of Half Life was only like 30 minutes long. Like it was something like really short. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's a it's a neat blend. If you sit down and listen to the whole thing, you get pretty wide span of genres. Yeah, so, a whole roller coaster of emotions, I'd say. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, but yeah, uh one aspect that I guess is underrated if we're doing kind of like I don't know, if we're wrapping it up. Uh, yeah, I guess like, so. Just like stuff that I enjoyed about it generally. Uh I'm a fan of horror movies, so yeah. I like the horror aspects of the game. It was like I don't know, oh, it's yeah. done in such a way like you have Doom before this which like uses heavy metal imagery and stuff, but that's not like a scary game. Not exactly. It's more yeah. just like in your face, like just fucking like, killing demons. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's that sort of stuff. Uh, whereas this one definitely, I don't know. It's specific moments, like even during some of the boss battles, like there's this sense of like dread that's kind of overhanging, like the yeah. entire like event, and especially like again talking about like the effect that it has like on the world post. Yeah. Like this event, I don't know. It's it's interesting, and it goes a little more into it, like in the second game, like yeah. how much this event like changed, <laughs> like everything. It was yeah. neat. Um, but yeah, just even like some of the small, like environmental scares, like yeah. crabs are scary. And whenever well, you're crawling through vents and they jump at your face, it's neat. Yeah. I don't know. One thing that really struck me about the game was, I guess, just the sense of scale. We've already talked about kind of oh, the yeah. sense of place, but just in like boss battles and things like that, oh, yeah. like we keep coming back to like the three tentacle or three claw yeah. thing. Um, that, that kind of puzzle boss battle thing, mm -hmm. like the scale of that, where you're having to go up and down different levels to defeat oh, yeah. this object and having to constantly be aware of it, or these like humongous enemies, or even like kind of the freakishly small head crabs and oh, having yeah. to like shoot those before mm -hmm. they hit you and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, I don't know, the way it uses scale and, and, and movement kind of, I don't know, it was really effective. Yeah, absolutely. And like, if we're talking about, again, the tentacle thing, like, uh, I don't know. It's moments like that which really, and like the last little bit of the game, whenever like again, spoilers. Uh, you go to like the alien planet. I think we it's didn't called Zen. We didn't even talk we didn't about that. Even touch on that. It Here, feels, you know, we could extend this a little bit. Yeah. If you want to talk about that, because I didn't even it, make it to that point. I just feels, know like the absolute end game. It feels like a little bit of a different game. Uh, long story short, I think that you read the synopsis. It turns out that like from what I understand, it's been a while since I've played like this section of the game. Yeah. Um, but Black Mesa had like I think intentionally uh been like working on like the aliens and stuff okay or, like, so working on a project to send people there yeah uh and whenever you get to zen uh you see people who are like wearing your heb suits and stuff. oh shit yeah it's wild um so yeah i don't know it just feels like a different sort of game once the setting changes like i don't know i was as exhausting as it might be to kind of see black mesa the entire time it was yeah. really neat to kind of feel like there's a know. world outside of it yeah i i don't know like there's just something about Zen that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like it sort of looks like Doom to me a little bit. Yeah, and also just this this plot of finding out that oh, the government was really working. Like this wasn't just an accident that this happened. Like this was yeah. kind of intentional. This link to like the alien civilization. Yeah. Like that's kind of the same thing with Doom. Yeah, exactly. It's like I don't know. There are there are a bunch of like uniting threads and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. There's. 
like you do have i think one last boss battle in zen which like consists of you like floating around like in zero g oh shit and having to like shoot or zero g it's just like low gravity. yeah exactly um, but just like shooting a big alien um I don't know. For some reason, at the moment, it's reminding me of like the Plankton Battle in Battle for Bikini Bottom. If you ever played that game, uh, I play. I think I rented it and did not get to the Plankton Battle. That yeah, it's the very last one. Uh, it's Robot Plankton. I guess I don't even know why I'm making that comparison. No, except please, for the fact that please. like the very like vivid image of Robot Plankton, Just like humongous robo to slice you. Yeah, I think that uh, this boss though, like if I recall correctly, let me look up an image of it real quick. Okay. Um, it looks kind of like if you remember the boss that you had to fight in the. Uh, tunnels like right before on a rail the one that you brought in between the two electrical yeah conduits. yeah it looks kind of like that but bigger okay a little bit gotcha um, but yeah it's i don't know like i guess it serves a purpose story-wise but it i don't know it takes it feels way more like a video game after okay. that point and like obviously it's not grounded the whole time but i prefer like you know aliens invading like a human environment as opposed to like a human invading an alien environment yeah no i totally get that yeah i totally just because like imagining even though there are these weird kind of tonal moments uh or tonal shifts and and discordant moments of like this music coming in yeah uh after maybe like a, a kind of a starker like uh sequence of you like walking through like these offices or walking right, through right, right. like like a factory section yeah or something like that and then like this breakbeat music coming in there's still like yeah. this kind of like endearing nature to it or like yeah. oh that kind of makes sense at the time but then i don't know even though going to an alien planet mm-hmm. still makes sense at the time yeah like i could imagine that being really uh yeah. or just like actually kind of messing up like what you think of the game or at least how you feel about it exactly yeah because like i don't know i can believe to a certain extent like again the suspension of disbelief like for this character you gotta suspend a lot he's a dude with like a phd in theoretical physics again his characterization i guess doesn't matter all that much but like it's a scientist in a laboratory and I don't know, like that immediate like acclimation <laughs> to like being on the alien planet and just like going, I gotta shoot stuff is yeah. like so like strange to me and like a weird tonal shift for the game. But like, yeah, I don't know. It, it read just in kind of a weird way to me. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, overall though, like, I don't know. And also, I think uh, some of the aliens are a little more like effective without that context of like seeing the world that they come from. If yeah, that makes sense. Like they're much more jarring and kind of like wow, that's a weird, like, animal without well, seeing like, it in total. And you have that little hint at the beginning of the game. Whenever the resonance cascade happens, you get teleported to Zen for, like, a split second. Okay. And you see some of, like, the spitter aliens, like, drinking out of a pond. Um, and that's like, oh, okay, that's neat. You see them, you know, yeah. you see them doing their thing, and you know that that's where they came from. I didn't think that it needed to be elaborated on. Yeah. But, I don't know. Again, for the yeah. time, though. For the time. Yeah. I don't know. I, even though, like, I keep going back to the fact that I didn't finish this game, I did really kind of enjoy the time that I had with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of really cool moments, a lot of really cool things. I'm excited to play the second one. I'm, yeah. like, not too... Even though, like, I read the Wikipedia plot summary, like, I'm still not feeling like missing out on the plot is going to impact that much. No. But, I don't know, I'm excited to revisit two and, and hopefully... Yeah. Hopefully finish the game that I started in middle school. Yeah, two does a really good job of, like, building on like the good parts of okay. the first game yeah. um and i don't know crafting like this a really like interesting narrative again to have a protagonist that is just the like a lego brick and then like 
I don't know, being able to build like a story of like such grand scale and like having yeah. so many memorable moments in it. Yeah. Like the second one, like I can think of like, you know, 10 environments just like right yeah. off hand that I'm like just stick in my mind so vividly. I mean, there are a few that even I remember from when I like yeah. tried playing it back a long time ago. Yeah, it's neat. But, it's, but yeah. yeah, there's a bunch of cool stuff. Which um, I guess like, again, we keep extending this conversation, but I guess there's yeah. something to be said about Gordon Freeman as like this like blank yeah character being not like the worst thing just because i mean at the end of the day like what interaction is like i mean it gordon freeman is interactive in the ways that like a video game allows players to be right where like you're not actually there you're not actually going to talk to these people right so like i mean the character not doing that is kind of like a decent representation of that right yeah but still i don't know the character there's still like attempts at making it more like a traditional story yeah and his characterization is just interesting but <laughs> yeah it's i don't know why they would even throw up like his stats and stuff at the beginning i it think it's, it would have worked just as well for him to be just a nameless like employee probably, but you know it's but, fine yeah it's neat it's fine yeah all right so i guess wrapping up cool trey cool okay. where can people find you on the internet people can find me uh at heckbutt uh on twitter which is that's like Thank you. You locked that down. I did. Not yeah. heck, but one. Yes, I got. I or got, like heck, but with like a seven. That would be instead of a T. Honestly, I'm thinking about it. I you could do elite, elite speed heck, elite speak, elite speak heck, heck but. but. That's that's very good. Actually, yeah. I need to think about that. Yeah, um, consider it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, but yeah, that's my Twitter. Uh, if you go on Instagram, you can find me. Like, also Trey at heck, but. Uh, I think it might also be it might also be Heckbutt on Instagram. I'm not sure. If, oh, if you sorry. Just search my name. It's I may whatever. have messed it up. No, you're totally fine. Yep. And then um, you've also got some musical projects. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so me and a friend here, um, we've started doing like benefit compilations for just organizations that we think yeah. are like you know for a good cause. Um, you can find those at tapedrecords.bandcamp.com. As of yep. right now, we're on volume two, about to put out volume yep. three coming up here soon. Yeah. Um, it's mostly regional bands, like in the southeast, uh, yeah. as of right now. But we're working on expanding yep. it. Uh, it's at and, tapedrecords.bandcamp.com. Yep. Yeah. And and the first volume uh, goes toward the ACLU. Uh, Planned oh, Parenthood. Planned Parenthood. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and then the second volume goes toward the University of Tennessee uh, uh, Office for Diversity and Inclusion. Yep. Yeah. Which, which recently got defunded. Yeah, and like, then like the Tennessee legislature is like trying to push intellectual diversity in uh, terms of like I don't know, it's yeah, a whole issue. But if you want to read up on that, there's yeah. plenty, plenty of information out there about that. Yeah. Um, and then there's it's a third fun. one coming up soon uh, with yeah. another another worthy cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also you have some other like side projects as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my solo stuff is just at treyboyt.bandcamp.com. Uh, then I have a band with one of the people that's helping us do the uh, compilations. That's uh, filthyblonde.bandcamp.com. Yeah. And then I'm the drummer for another band that's from around this area called Moxing Cowboy. So moxingcowboy.com. And again, all these links, everything is going to be in the the description. description. Yeah. In the, I was about to say a YouTube word, but I don't want to do it. (laughs) What is it? In the sidebar? No, people would always like, I remember back in like 2010, like peak vlogging time, which again, like vlogging is still like a pretty big, it's actually a really big thing now. Yeah. Um, But back like the early, like big vloggers would always say, yeah, they would say like in the doobly do. Oh, wow. No, that's like exclude. That's a, what is it? Like Wheezy Waiter? Wheezy Waiter. Oh my God. Wheezy Waiter, like Mitchell Davis. Yeah, the doobly-doo. Yeah, Philip DeFranco maybe. Oh man, I forgot about Philip DeFranco. I think he's still kicking too. Like I saw a video on Facebook that someone from like high school shared from him. What? It was wild. I know he... He's still making YouTube videos, I know. He was at SourceFed for a minute. Who knows? SourceFed's gone now though, I think. Is it? I think so. Wow. 
I don't know. YouTube. It's crazy time. Uh, I've been your host. Uh, I'm Seth on Twitter at ASAP Sunscreen. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Whose Games Pod. If you want to go uh, send, I don't know, like, comment, subscribe, retweet, exactly. um, heckle, whatever you yeah. want to do. It's an open you know? forum, the internet. Yeah. Go for it. You can say whatever you want on there. Uh, but please don't, though. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I guess that's, that's it. the end of the episode. Cool. You know? pretty great uh i'm gonna have more episodes uh coming out at a more regular schedule now that like school's kind of almost almost done almost hopefully one in the next month uh on, well we've got one on half-life 2 coming yeah and then also uh some other episode ideas are on like games of Ro- by robert yang Ooh. uh some really really cool stuff nice. really cool stuff but uh i guess that's it and also to close out uh instead of the usual song which is by uh my friend ben mm-hmm. uh at cat food party on twitter uh we're actually going to close out with one of trey's songs cool i said trey songs <laughs> <laughs> has that ever happened before no no never never uh trey songs right there but wow. yeah that's neat yeah so we're gonna <laughs> one of trey's songs we'll figure it out that that name and description will be yeah. also down cool down there and then the podcast artwork is also by uh my friend ross who's on twitter at big weird baby <laughs> he's changed that recently <laughs> uh but that's the uh the end of the episode so maybe go play half-life maybe get a phd in theoretical physics yeah just go for it i mean you never know when you're gonna need it yeah you never know when you're gonna need to flip a lot of levers and break some boxes shoot some guns yeah exactly that's why i play video games honestly <laughs> yeah